This is day five of our look together through Revelation chapter 17. And as we walk through these verses again today, we're going to look back again at this beast, this source of evil on which the woman called Babylon sits. Remember, the beast is Satan. The woman, Babylon, is the worldly way of thinking, which can be in my individual life. As it's described for us in Revelation 17, this worldly way of thinking makes its way into our culture, into our civilization. But the worldly way of thinking, the selfish way of life, is riding on the back of a beast. So to understand what's happening with our worldly way of thinking, to understand what's happening with my own selfishness, you have to understand the beast, you have to understand Satan, you have to understand the source of evil. And there are three very important understandings spread throughout this chapter. First understanding, this is a beast that once was, now is not, and yet will come. We read that yesterday, and you may have wondered, what does that mean? But then we went on to talk about hills and heads and horns and everything that was going on. What about this beast that once was, now is not, and yet will come? This is important. It's said three times for us in verse 8 and then also in verse 11. In verse 8, the beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. And then at the end of that verse, he once was, now is not, and yet will come. Then verse 11, the beast who once was and now is not is the eighth king. He belongs to the seven and he's going to his destruction. What is this about? Satan, who once was, now is not, and yet will come. And if you read the beginning of verse 8, will come to his destruction. Well, Satan once was. He came into this world in the Garden of Eden. He tempted mankind and he became what Scripture calls the prince of this world or the ruler of the powers of the air. He controlled, in many ways for a time, the thinking of mankind. He controlled through his temptations, through the temptation to pride, the temptation to power, the temptation to pleasure. He controlled our thoughts and our ways. And if you were looking just at history, you might have thought that was the end of the story. He once was. But then Jesus came into this world. And on the cross, Jesus Christ defeated the power of Satan. You can read about it in the book of Colossians. It's done away with. It's finished. It's over. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Not it will be finished, but it is finished. Satan once was. He was in this world. He now is not. He is defeated already on Calvary. It's a finished, finished product of the goodness of God and the power of God and the grace of God that was shown to us on the cross. But he yet will come. And the book of Revelation is showing that there will come a great outpouring of evil at the end of time. One last gasp before his final defeat. But he will come to his destruction. He comes up out of the abyss, but he goes to his destruction. He goes from destruction to destruction. That's the description. And when you understand that about who Satan is, you understand that about evil, you get a picture that helps in every temptation that you face in every evil circumstance of this life. It once was, and it may seem to be real now. But when you look at the cross, you see that that which seems to be real, the cross is more real. That is what's going to last. And you realize that he yet will come to his destruction. That is the future of Satan. This beast, he once was, he now is not, and yet will come. There's a second description in Revelation 17 of the beast. The beast will make war against the lamb. Revelation 17 verse 14 says, They will make war against the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them because, because he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. 
As we said last week, there will be people who battle against God to the end, motivated by this beast, by Satan, saying, I'm going to give you what you want, thinking that somehow they can win. It's one of the great mysteries in the world to me that this will happen, but maybe not so mysterious at all when I see my own pattern of sin and selfishness. Without Christ, this is where all of us would be. But in Christ, I recognize something new, something fresh. He is the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings. We've talked about all these kings, 10 kings, 7 kings. You might be thinking, I can't figure out all the kings. I don't, I don't know what it all means at this point. Well, let me help you. You only need to remember one king, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in the end, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is the he is the Lord of Lords. The seven kings, the seven hills, the seven heads, the ten kings, the eighth king, the beast, the woman on the beast, all of them. Jesus, you're Lord. Jesus, you're the king. So if Revelation chapter 17 is a chapter that has confused you somewhat, all that confusion comes to this point. There is one king that we follow. And that king, Jesus Christ, he will defeat all the powers of evil in this world. He already has on the cross. And we're going to see that victory to the end. And that one king, Jesus Christ, he will be honored by all others in the end. The beast will make war against the lamb, but in the end, he will be worshiping. Even the beast will be worshiping the lamb, the Lord of lords, the king of kings. The beast once was, now is not, and yet will come. The beast will make war against the lamb and will eventually worship the lamb. And a final picture of the beast. The beast will ruin Babylon. Listen to this, Revelation chapter 17, verses 15 and 16. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. The beast and the ten horns that you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and they will burn her with fire. Now, first, as we walk through this, you have these waters. What is the meaning of waters? It represents a multitude, a multitude of people. We have the sea, which is this multitude of people that are worshiping God at the beginning of the book of Revelation. And here you have waters that represent peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. When you hear many voices at once, if you've ever been in that situation, it sounds like rushing water. Many people at once, millions spread out like this, they look like an ocean. So you have all these incredible multitudes of people. And in this, where this prostitute, this Babylon, this worldly, selfish way of thinking sits, in this, the beast is eventually going to ruin even this worldly way of thinking. The woman is destroyed by the beast. Now, that is a sign of two things. Number one, evil is self-destructive. Evil will eventually consume itself. You can see this today. You can see an evil person who thinks they have power and thinks they have life, but eventually they end up consuming themselves, their family, their health, their very life. Evil eventually turns in on itself and consumes itself. It can do no other because it's selfish. So because of its selfishness, it consumes itself. But there's more here than that, much more here than that. In the fact that the beast ends up being part of what consumes, what condemns Babylon. There is a sign also of the fact that God is in control. The book of Revelation is extremely clear about this. In verse 17, here's what the scripture says. Here's what the scripture says about the beast. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose. 
by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. So here are these peoples, these multitudes, these nations, these languages who will give the beast their power to rule. And God's going to use even that. Now, if you're looking just at history from a human perspective, it would look like the beast had won everything in this situation. Everyone's following the beast. Everyone's given the beast power. But in the end, God knows what will happen. The evil will turn on itself. God knows exactly what will happen. When you see, when you see evil in this world, realize God did not create that world, that world of evil. And God is not making the choice for that evil to happen. There are human beings who are making the choice for that evil to happen. But even, even in the fact that God did not create that evil, nor did he make the choice to do that evil, that does not negate the fact that God is in control, even, even of what happens out of that evil. And he will use even an evil heart to accomplish his purposes because his purposes are what will prevail in the end. God put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule. Even in that, God is in control. So no matter what evil someone's trying to bring against you, no matter what evil you see in this world, even in that, God is working to bring those to himself who need to come to himself, and that's all of us, and to bring this world to himself in the end. Now, all this talk about Babylon is summed up in verse 18. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. The woman is the great city. You have both woman and city. And it's Babylon. It's this spirit of selfishness. And it rules over the kings of this earth. Babylon is both woman and city. We began this week with the picture of Babylon, the woman in chapter 17, and the woman in chapter 12, who is the people of God, the church of God. Babylon, the woman, is the unholy opposite of the bride of Christ. Babylon, the city, is the ungodly opposite of the new Jerusalem. You see, God has an answer. We are all the bride of Christ. We are all going to be in the new Jerusalem. And all Satan has is a way to twist that answer and offer the world emptiness, offer the world loss, offer the world what may seem attractive at the beginning, but is loss in the end. What's, what's so attractive about Babylon? In Babylon, we seem to get what we want when we want it. But one day, we'll discover that it's not what we really wanted at all. In the New Jerusalem, with the Bride of Christ, we get what God wants when he wants us to. And one day, we'll discover that it's what we really wanted all along. Our Father, thank you for knowing us. Thank you for knowing us, even in our confusion and in our selfishness. And thank you for working in our hearts, in my heart, to bring us to you, to bring us to holiness, to bring us to Christ to head us toward this place called the new Jerusalem where a new heaven, a new earth, we get to enjoy all of what you have made for all of eternity. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Next week in chapter 18, we're gonna to continue to get God's perspective on what really lasts and how to build your life on that which lasts. 